Thank you, Mike, uh, for leading us in our intercessions. We're going to be opening our Bibles now to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And as Mike just mentioned in the prayers, we're looking at that great theme of wisdom. That great theme of wisdom. And as you remember, a few weeks ago, I did say whether you considered yourself a wise person or a foolish person. And of course, if you're here this morning, you are a wise person because the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we are here this morning fearing his word, honouring his word, respecting the Lord, coming to him uh, this morning. So James chapter one, and the book of James is full of heavenly and godly wisdom. And so we're going to be going through this letter together over the next few weeks. James chapter one from verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this incredible piece of scripture that really challenges us, Lord, and we just ask now that for your favour and grace that you might help us not only to understand it, but to be wise and to apply it to our lives. We ask this, Lord, uh, for Jesus did so much for us, and it's for his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why do things just keep going wrong in our lives? I'm going to guess that you may think that there are people out there who just have a charmed life where everything just is smooth sailing. The reality is, though, for every single one of us, things go wrong. And do you ever in those moments, sometimes something will go wrong, and just when you get over it, another thing goes wrong, and then another thing goes wrong, and on and on it goes, and you think, is this ever going to end? Am I doing something wrong myself? Is someone out to get me? Why do things keep going wrong? And what's our approach to that when they do? 
Is it like another burden we have to carry? And slowly but surely we get overwhelmed and crushed by the weight of life. And then, of course, we look out at others where life is just going smooth sailing for them and we, how annoying is that? Things keep going wrong. And the Bible doesn't promise otherwise. James says... Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I've got an issue with James on this one. (laughs) Well, you know, I obviously agree with him. But consider it pure joy whenever you face trials, difficulties, pain, challenges, suffering, things going wrong in your life. Pure joy. I'm not sure I'm there yet on that one. So I need wisdom. Maybe some of you do to learn this one. But things go wrong, don't they? Even yesterday, uh, we were having a really good day. Uh, The sun was shining, wasn't it? Perhaps for the last time ever. Who knows? And so we went down to the beach. It was low tide, so we went out to the ray, like we often do as a family. And I went with some friends. Had a great time. And on our way back... uh, Bless him, one of my friend's children uh, stumbled and cut his leg uh, quite badly. And uh, me and my friend, we fainted because of the blood and things like that. Uh, But then we thought we'd better help him. So, uh, (laughs) but suddenly our day just turned around. A good day happening, but then right at the end, something goes wrong. One of us had to go to A&E. The other had to take all the other children, wet and muddy. And uh, it was a real palaver. Why do things have to keep going wrong? That's a minor thing in the big scheme of things. Had another friend who uh, finally got his dream place by the Mediterranean after long years of working, decided to sell up in England, buy a house in Spain, move there with his partner. And uh, as soon as they arrived, the relationship broke down. Um, The partner left him. And he tried to sell the house, but the market had changed and he couldn't sell his place and he was stuck out there and still stuck out there. Why do things go wrong? When all your plans look good and you've worked hard and you think you're doing the right things, things go wrong. But James, how can we consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds? And he adds that verse there, many kinds, because he doesn't just mean one type of trial, because in, in, in the letter of James, persecution is a real trial, that Christians are facing opposition. There's poverty that we see in James that is causing problems. But James doesn't specify all of them. Many kinds. Many kinds. And you yourself this morning, I'm sure, have faced trials and may be facing trials of many kinds. How do we not get angry? resentful, bitter, envious. You might be asking questions like, I'm scared, I'm fearful of my future. You might be asking questions like, why is it always me? Or God, what are you doing? I thought you were good. Many, many questions, but maybe not on your heart is, Lord, pure joy at what I'm facing right now. How do we get to that? What is all that about? Well, let's try and make a little bit of sense, hopefully. 
3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Testing of your faith, the trials produce perseverance. I know someone here in this congregation, sitting in this room right now, has decided to go do a couch to 5K run. Do you know what that means? It means in a few months' time, you're supposed to run a five-kilometer race for charity, uh, but you've never run before in your life, and it's couch to 5K. So that's a trial, isn't it? That's a challenge. Now, if you were facing that kind of challenge, the couch to 5K, if you're going to follow the plan, means that every single day you start to train, or every week you start to train, so that by the time the trial comes, you can persevere and have persevered so that you can run the race. Does that make sense? If you decided, ah, I know that trial is ahead of me, that test is ahead of me, but... I'm going to remain on the couch until that day. Are you going to be strong? Or as James says, mature and complete and ready to win that or run that race? So many of us in life, what we really want is that smooth sailing, don't we? I just want to have an easy life. And I want an easy life for my children and my family and my friends. I want to build a life to, as best I can, ensure that nothing ever goes wrong. And of course, when they do then, because I've poured so much energy into making sure nothing goes wrong, it hurts all the more, doesn't it, when it does go wrong and you feel cursed somehow. But imagine for a moment I could create a life where nothing goes wrong. And it's smooth sailing all the way for everyone I know and everyone I love. The Bible actually says they won't grow. They won't mature. They won't have an opportunity to exercise their faith and their trust in the Lord God. I don't know if you've seen um, that comedy film, uh, Evan Almighty. Anyone seen that one? It's, I uh, can't remember who's in it now. Steve Carell? Okay. It's the follow-up to Bruce Almighty, if you saw that one. Now, I'm not advocating those films as a theological treatise on the Christian faith. I'm not. I'm really not, because it's got many, many heresies. <laughs> but it's a fun film, nonetheless. And Evan Almighty is based on the Noah story, where a chap is asked to, by God to build a, an ark in modern-day America, and it's got lots of funny jokes in it. But there's this one scene where uh, God, who's played by Morgan Freeman, says to um, Evan's wife, Mrs. Noah, I guess, uh, says this, and I thought this was an interesting point, which I think there is some truth in it. Uh, so God says this, if someone prays for patience, you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If he prayed for courage, does God give him courage or does he give him opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, 
Do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings or does he give them opportunities to love each other? That's interesting, isn't it? Because my prayers are normally, Lord, take this problem away. Lord, give me a huge heart that loves everyone. Lord, give me peace. Lord, give me strength. And I expect him to zap me. But give me no problems whatsoever at the same time. If I said to any of you or any of my members of my family, I love you, should I not expect that to be tested by many trials to see if it is real? In fact, you can't use the word love unless there are trials to demonstrate it, to prove it, to grow it, to mature it. You can't. It's impossible. If God says, I love you, but never did one thing to show it or demonstrate it, how would we know? But God, the Bible says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. That's how we know. Through many trials, Jesus proved his love for both God and for us through many trials. And he was made mature and complete. So, for us, many trials. Rather than, and I'm, and I'm thinking of myself here the next time I face them, rather than go get angry, bitter, resentful, wondering why no one else cares or no one's helping me, let alone God. Why don't I go down that path? I'm going to try a different path and say, Lord, help me use this moment to actually be patient, to actually show kindness, to change my attitude. This is an opportunity for me to take care of someone when they need me. This is an opportunity for me to not trust in my bank balance or to trust in my health or to trust in anything other than you. This is an opportunity for me to lean on you, Lord, whether you take the problem away or not. James shows us that in verse 9 onwards. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So he starts to address those who have a lot in life and those who have a little in life, rich and poor people. And he says, this is a, he wants the poor people, let's read on verse 10, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. So he says, there's rich people and poor people. And he says, from the worldly perspective, who has it easy and who has it hard? Well, from our perspective, so well, the rich have it easy and the poor have it really hard. James actually says, if you're struggling in life and don't have everything you need and aren't the richest and wealthiest person, you are in a high position. And he says to the rich people, you need to take pride in your humiliation. He flips it right the other way around. Why? Why? Because we look at rich and healthy and wealthy people and think, oh man, that's exactly what I want. You've got everything you need. You're sheltered, you're protected from the trials of life because you can afford to get out of them or you've got your health or whatever. 
And James says, no, they have no trials. They are sheltered from opportunity to grow closer to the living God, to grow in love, to experience his faithfulness, to know that he's there for you and not just your bank balance is there for you, but to know that Jesus is there for you. I find it so difficult, this teaching, because I don't want to be the poorest or the one in worst health and all those things, but when it comes, and it will come, because look, verse 11, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. You can't stop it. That day is coming when your wealth and your health can't save you. But James is making a point that the humble, people in humble circumstances are already learning that lesson. They're already training. They're already knowing how to run that race. Whereas the rich and healthy are in a precarious position. Hard teaching, isn't it? Different teaching. So James says we must ask for wisdom. There it is in verse 5. When you're going through these trials, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So when you're in these trials, you are to ask the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom that I don't take the wrong path here. I don't just mean the wrong choice, I mean the wrong path. The one of anger, bitterness, fear, I need wisdom to approach this trial correctly, just like Jesus did. And James says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Gulp. Because to face this trial, to really lean on the Lord, to really receive wisdom, You've got to believe in him. You've got to trust in him. Now, what James is not saying here is that you've got to be um, unbelievably believe that the good outcome is going to happen and it will. It's not about wishful thinking this or spending so much time believing in God that you force him to give the answer you want him to give. That's not what it's saying here. It says that we must ask and believe without being double-minded. Double-minded. In other words, we need to be single-minded in life. Single-minded. You see, I can't tell you how many times people come to me as a, as a minister with their problems, um, which is a good thing. I'm not saying it's not. It's a good thing to come. To, uh, but they only ever come to me when they've got a problem. And we talk and we pray. And then I don't see them again for weeks or months. And then they get in touch with me again with their next problem. And we talk and we go through the same process, but I never see them again for weeks or months. And I do wonder to myself, I'm not saying I wouldn't stop seeing them or anything like that, but I wonder in my mind, where are you between those times? You come to the Lord when you've got one thing. Don't see you again because you've got what you want and you go and live your other life. Double-minded. 
double-minded. If we really want to grow in maturity, be complete in life, persevere, come closer to the Lord, and face the many trials of life with pure joy, ready to overcome these things, single-minded for the Lord. Single-minded. We live for the Lord every day. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. We are his disciples. Verse 12, we're going to finish with this thought. Blessed is the one who perseveres, perseveres under trials because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who has trials and perseveres. The crown of life. We want to know what it is to receive the crown of life from Jesus. The 5K run. I don't want to get off my couch and fall at my front door and not make it to the end. Now, I don't want to put the fear of God into you all about, am I going to make it to the end? Listen, if you're a child of God, if you're born again, you're with him. You are saved. We're not saved by our works. Does that make sense? That's, that's not what I'm trying to say here. But I want to be the kind of child of God that's actually grown up and able to actually be someone who can confront the darkness, who can actually show love in the times of need. I don't want to remain a babe, tossed around by the waves of this world, not able to do anything helpful or contribute to life at all. If you're a believer, you're saved by grace. But don't you want to become mature? Because don't the trials of life, aren't they horrible? Aren't they difficult at times? Don't we want to become mature and complete and receive the crown of life? Now, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. Who would ever put their hand up and say, I would have loved to have swapped lives and lived the life of Jesus? He was born into poverty. He faced trials of many kinds, lots of opposition, lots of people speaking badly about him, lots of people trying to trick him and trap him. He suffered violence, he wrongful imprisonment, uh, he suffered a violent death, he was abandoned by his friends. What else happened to him? There's that verse where Jesus says, um, foxes have their dens and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless. How many of us would go, oh yeah, that's, that's the life. <laughs> That's the life. But he persevered in every situation. And you'll know this from his own temptations in the wilderness. He asked God for wisdom and he prayed to his heavenly father, what is the path here, Lord? This is an opportunity, Jesus would say, to let me love other people. To not just go, woe is me, but to go, this is an opportunity to love other people. And not just that, to receive a crown of life, a crown of thorns, 
that would deliver so much life that it was enough to save the world. Isn't that the kind of perseverance we want? Not just to get through trials, but so that we might become the sorts of people that can bring a love and a life into this world that can save many. Save many. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when we face trials. Don't run from them. Don't try and find worldly solutions that get you out of it so that it never happens again. It's an opportunity to come to Jesus, to take pride in your humble circumstances, to receive a crown of life. And like it said in that video, so that your life is full and your cup overflows. And may we walk this path together in all wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a tough teaching of which I am not sure I am ready to accept it. For I am scared. I am unsure of my life. And at many times... I find my heart being resentful and bitter. It's a hard teaching, Lord, because we often just pray for one another, deliver us. And that is a right prayer, deliver us from all evil. But, Lord, may we pray also for one another that we might walk the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. In the next days and weeks, Lord, may we pray over that verse and would you lead us into all understanding so that we might not become unfruitful in life, that we might find one day when we meet Jesus Christ, he will give us a crown of life. Help us to do this together, Lord to support and strengthen one another and to not give up the race, but to run it with our Lord and Saviour every day, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.